people. They will help you to buy your home and get you into the best place possible. Uh, they're outstanding people. So please visit REMAX Alliance at homesincolorado.com, and uh, you won't be disappointed. Today's on the show, we've got a, I've got a very special guest. Um, but one of the things that I always like to start out with these shows is to kind of focus on some of the events that have happened recently in the past week. Um, I was thinking about this Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. It says, the greatest glory in living lies not in the falling, but in rising every time we fall. Rising every time we fall, because life sometimes is going to knock us down. And, and, and people who are suffering from PTSD and trauma um, are really uh, having to carry a lot of internal wounds, a lot of pain on the inside. And when you find out that you're suffering from this pain, you don't feel like anybody understands. You're, you're, uh, an eth- you're, you're, you're kind of uh, alien to the rest of the society. And this past week, I had the privilege of meeting with some vets that came down from Route County in uh, Steamboat Springs. And uh, I met them through a liaison officer. One was a Vietnam vet. One was an uh, uh, Iraqi Afghanistan vet. And uh, they were in a lot of pain. Um, some of the most pain that I've seen guys in a long time. You know, PTSD is not, doesn't affect everybody who's in the military, but it affects about 30% of the, po- of the military population. And these guys were, you know, testing me out to see if, uh, if I was just the, the real deal or not. And uh, then they started opening up some of the tragedies and, and horrible stories that, uh, that they were carrying. And as it turns out, there's uh, about... 1,300 to 1,500 uh, vets all strewn about in that area. Uh, they're all living in the mountains, isolated from the rest of society, just uh, uh, burrowed in in these mountaintop areas uh, just to, to kind of find a way to be able to deal with their pain because they don't feel like anybody understands them. And the VA is not really helping them as much as they possibly could. What they're doing is they're giving them psychotropic drugs and all these pharmaceuticals to be able to mitigate it, and they have no real counselors up there to be able to help them, and they have a, a serious issue. The Vietnam vet that I met, uh, he told me just on Thanksgiving, five veterans committed suicide. Five vets committed suicide. Nobody hears about it. Sometimes people just go about their daily business and these guys are in so much pain that they don't feel like anybody cares. And he stopped two others from committing suicide on Christmas. I mean, this is reality for a lot of the vets that are carrying these wounds. And it reminds me of uh, of a great play. There was a a play written by, I think it was uh, was Sophocles, uh, who wrote the play Philosities. And Philosities was this wounded warrior who ended up getting struck by a snake. It was a venom. It was a poison and it crippled him in his foot. And uh, he was found unfit to serve and so he was disgracefully left alone, tormented uh, in solitude uh, as they, uh, our guys and the the Greek commanders left him to go fight to to defend and deal with this wound all by himself. And his wound never heals. He cries in agony every night. He screams, he hollers, he writhes in pain. And there's no one to comfort him. There's no one to give him any kind of shelter. There's no one to help him ease his suffering. And there's not a soul on this island to help him with this, with this disease. And Philosophies is betrayed um, by those who called him to war. He's left for the carry-on for the birds. 
And it is an example of a lot of the guys uh, who carry this wound as they run to the hills and run to the mountains. Um, this is how they handle it. They follow their duty. Uh, they followed, they believed, and they, were, they heard the call to duty from their country and to follow in that no nobility of honor and truth and uh, nobility to serving these high ideals of freedom. And then they get wounded, and then they come back, and they're changed. And nobody knows how to, to, to handle it. And so they end up giving them all these psychotropic drugs and pharmaceuticals. And all that does is drown the pain out more. And it actually increases the likelihood. Anytime you give SSRIs as a method to be able to mitigate the pain that people are going through and just consider them to be, um, that it's a chemical fix, that you can fix them chemically, you're, you're coming at it from a completely wrong perspective. We're not just there's more to us than just behaviors and the biochemistry of our bodies. And there's a matter of the soul. There's a matter of that part in our hearts that, uh, that governs um, our ability to navigate through this world and to do it with uh, a sense of conscience and knowing that what we're doing is right. And uh, so these warrior spirits are shattered. Their, their souls are crying, you know, foul. You know, this is this, how can this happen to me? And then, um, you know, all of our, these people that go to war, they, they, they put their life on the line. And when they come back, if we don't take the time to put the right people in their, in the, in their midst that can really help them, uh, we are doing a disservice. We are betraying them. Now, I had no idea there were that many vets up there. And uh, it broke my heart and it really made me angry. And, uh, and then I hear um, uh, the president wants to do a military parade. And I'm just about uh, infuriated by that. And so I want to say, Mr. President, help, help me to help these guys. These people here are in need. If you're going to spend $22 million on a parade, you give us the people that I know who can really do these people and help them. Give us a couple million. These people are suffering, and they need our help. And they've isolated, and they feel like nobody cares. You know, it's just uh, it's a matter of priority. When you send these people and these men and these boys into battle, you have an obligation to bring them back. And we've got an obligation to the, the, some kind of decompression, some kind of program that allows them to decompress from the battle, like a six- or eight-week program that allows them to reconnect to their humanity again to purge and, and, and release those wounds, to cleanse, to purify, to grieve, to tend, to be able to be surrounded by people who understand, and to be able to hear their plight, to be able to share their stories in meaningful ways that allows them to process and integrate these wounds in a healthy way so that they carry the wisdom of their suffering. And then they can share it with us, and we can hear what they go through, rather than hearing them, leaving them up into the mountains and just all by themselves but no one to help. Just give them drugs to take care of it. It's an abomination. You know, like philosophies, this invisible wound goes with them wherever they go. It's not like you could just dissipate. These panic attacks, these flashbacks, these rage, these other symptoms uh, that they've experienced from the carnage and the slaughter that they witnessed, um, you know, they become a walking time bomb without having the proper treatment to be able to help them through. And when you take the soul out of the treatment, you take the conscience, you take the heart out.
And without having the ability to connect with your heart and reconnect to the soul, any treatment's not going to work. You just can't just do behavioral uh, treatments. It, do it doesn't work with these guys. Maybe a few. I'm not going to say that it's completely... I'm, you know, it's completely wrong. I'm just saying we've got to reinstitute soul into it and treat them as a whole person. You know, they, uh, they have this excruciating, they don't trust anybody. They, don't, they look like they, they're fending for themselves. This one Vietnam vet, he's become, after 40 years of nursing his own wounds, he's become like this elder warrior up there just trying to help the guys not go through the same thing that the Vietnam vets did. Are we going to allow that to happen again? Are we going to allow that to happen again with the, the Iraq and Afghanistan vets who are suffering from this? Or can we learn the lessons from Vietnam and do the right thing now and help these guys and fund it and be able to, to give these guys a chance? It's our obligation to them. You know, we cannot betray the warriors in any way. We, they heard the call to serve. They heard the call, whether you agreed with it or not, and they were willing to submit to that. And when they're made to feel less than human, they become less than human. And many find their homes on the streets of America. Many find their homes uh, in these remote areas in the mountains, just, and they're just treated with contempt and, and, and looked at as like filth. They are the casualties of the war that the society has um, neglected. And it's indicative upon us that we find ways, healthy, holistic, alternative ways that help these guys to reconnect and help them to get through this pain so that we don't continue to have these suicides uh, of people that are completely forgotten and isolated. They feel like they're invisible. You've got to be able to help them feel visible again and cared for and loved. One of the things that uh, is so important in uh, the healing of, uh, uh, of this disorder and being able to come to terms with it is being able to find yourself in a place that enables you to get into, to recognize that you're not your thoughts, you're not your experiences, you're not your, um, the, the past, the past is behind you, it doesn't exist anymore, and you can get into that space where you're, you're no longer being tormented uh, as much by the, the, the painful memories of your past. And so one of those things is mindfulness. Now, mindfulness was something that was crucial, absolutely crucial uh, for my recovery uh, because I was so overwhelmed by the bombardment of all the things that were happening. And it's, it's a real issue. You know, some people believe that PTSD is not a real thing. It is. It is, and it has been for thousands of years. And it's something that we need to really stop pushing under the, uh, under the rug. You know, this mindfulness thing is something that enables you to get into a place where you can find immediate relief uh, from the suffering and the anxiety that you're, that you're experiencing. And when we give this immediate relief uh, for veterans, you know, they're just taught very simple techniques of mindfulness. Now, people confuse it with meditation, but it's, it's really reducing it to something that helps to benefit you without getting caught up in any of the um, religious connotations. Being aware of our body sensations, being aware of what is going on in our inner landscape, in, the, in our inner being, uh, can help us to notice when things, when we're starting to feel annoyed, when we're feeling anxious or hypervigilant or angry, 
And with that kind of self-awareness, when we recognize that there's this ebb and flow of emotions that happens, that pass, that come and they go, and we're in the middle of the storm, and then all of a sudden the storm passes, and there's something there behind it that we can tap into when we're doing a mindfulness practice. We can gain control over these emotions. We can find a way to be able to no longer be a prisoner to our automatic and habitual reactions. So mindfulness really assists us in turning our attention inward where we need to. And it's a first step to being help, helping you to get a hold of this transitory nature of feelings and, and these emotions and to slowly, eventually, gain mastery over yourselves. Now, there's this book by uh, Bessel van der Kolk, which is an outstanding book. And he is one of the preeminent, if not uh, experts on the mind-body-soul, um, uh, mind-body healing, brain in the healing of trauma. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. And in it, he talks, and he's been working with people who suffered from uh, PTSD and trauma for, for 40 years. And he's looked at it from so many different directions. And he includes and recommends that mindfulness is a key aspect in helping people to get back in touch with themselves and helping them to know what they know and feel what they feel without going into any kind of shock or flashback. You have to get comfortable in your body again. You have to be able to, to, to tap into that again. And in his book he says, mindfulness has been shown to have a positive effect on numerous psychiatric, psychosomatic, and stress-related symptoms, including depression and chronic pain. It has broad effects on physical health, including improvement in immune response, blood pressure, and cortisol levels. It has also been shown to activate the brain regions involved in emotional regulation and to lead to changes in the regions related to body awareness and fear. So that's how beneficial, that, that's the, the actual evidence of cultivating and establishing uh, a mindfulness practice can do for the well-being and the health and the leading towards healing that is so important for people who have suffered, for vets who suffered from PTSD. When I was in California and I lived out there, I uh, worked my, with my guest for uh, a long time, we, uh, <laughs> about two and a half, three years. And uh, we were able to uh, put together an organization, a nonprofit organization called the Mindful Warrior Project. And we were able to touch many, many lives through the organization and uh, to help bring relief to a lot of the vets out there. And uh, I'm so excited to bring her on. Um, we're going to dive deep into the principle of mindfulness and how some very simple techniques can have these life-saving, life-supporting effects uh, for those with uh, PTSD and trauma, especially those vets out there. Uh, my very special guest, Gail Sofer, is the founder and executive director of the Mindful Warrior Project, MWP for short, and is a nonprofit organization that guides veterans along with active duty, guard, and reserve members in an orientation to and simple secular mindfulness to cultivate their inner strengths, support their own well-being, and participate in their own healing process to be free, be well, and be whole in their daily lives. Gail, thank you so much for joining me on this show today. 
I would love if you could just briefly uh, share a little bit about your background for the audience here and uh, uh, really just grateful to have you on the show. My pleasure, Charlie. Um, and I love talking about this. It's, um, it's an absolute passion for me. As you well know, um, I go pretty much 24-7 with this work. And I have a very extensive background both in nonprofit management and in wellness modalities or um, peace initiatives or however you want to describe just people being whole and at peace and thoroughly enjoying their lives regardless of traumatic situations or disasters or whatever they've been through. Mm. Um, and after managing a number of veteran service nonprofits and hearing going kind of zero to 60 about issues with veterans in this country, I was absolutely compelled to do this work. I saw too many people falling through the cracks. Um, services would be offered, but um, a lot of restrictions. In some cases, you could not be served if you had anything other than an honorable discharge. Mm -hmm. um, in other cases, you have to be a combat veteran. Um, in other cases, post 9-11. And that just didn't seem right to me. And I saw a lot of the services being provided were not really hitting the target. And most importantly, as you mentioned, they were dealing with symptoms and numbing symptoms, but never addressing the human being who was experiencing something really huge and inviting that person to participate in their own process of healing, if that were necessary. But even without the stigma of you need to heal because there's something wrong with you. Just offering. This is something that's just going to enhance your experience of your life, mm -hmm. regardless. Mm -hmm. And it's yours. These are strengths you have within you. And together, let's explore. Let's explore what's in there besides the trauma. Let's explore what's in there um, besides tools that maybe you think applied only during your military service. Let's see what they look like in day-to-day -day life in the civilian world. And so to just start cultivating those, mm -hmm. you know, yes, there's trauma and what else? Yes, there's pain and what else? So to bring an exploration process as like, let's poke around in here, mm -hmm. let inside of ourselves, you know, what's happening physically, mentally, emotionally, what's happening outside in my immediate environment, what's happening in interpersonal environments, and always being able to come back to this is me and this is a thought that's passing through my head, crazy or not so crazy, mm -hmm. good idea or boo, not such a good one. Mm -hmm. This is the that's coming up. Mm -hmm. This is me. This is an emotion. This is me. This is a thought. Mm -hmm. This is me. This is a physical sensation. And none of them are forever. This is me, and this is hot, cold, rainy, stormy weather environment. This is me, and this is someone who's being a real jerk in mm. my environment. Right. Bottom line, this is me, and how do I proceed with dignity and strength mm. through all these things as they are always changing? Well, I think that's such an important thing is to you know reinforce the fact that it's about 
re giving people back their dignity and their strength, giving them a sense that uh, they can really powerfully reconnect to that aspect that they're that they're not broken, that they're not. Uh, you know, even though those traumas are there, but if they can start to learn how to be able to uh, observe it from a standpoint, not, not, not getting caught up in those thoughts, not getting caught up in those memories, not getting caught up in those images, and, but recognizing that you, you can start to slowly separate yourself from that experience, and it's really just paying attention and observing what's going on, observing and paying attention. It's self-awareness. And that self-awareness helps you to recognize what's happening in your body, what's going on in your mind, what's going on in, in your feelings, why you're feeling anxious, what that, that nod is, what that, you know, why am I feeling this uh, hypervigilance? And it just becomes clearer and clearer the more you practice it. Now, what, do you what is the difference, uh, in your opinion, about the, between mindfulness and meditation? Because a lot of times... What ends up happening is that guys and gals in the military are like, well, that's all that, uh, you know, spiritual foo-foo, you know, woo-woo stuff. And I don't want to, you know, do anything like that because they, they feel like it's going to conflict in some way with their religious beliefs. And it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. It actually, um, quite frankly, it helps you to deepen whatever religious beliefs that you have. But it, because of that... And how it's presented. And how it's presented, precisely. So why is it important to be able to uh, distinguish that for veterans um, and active duty uh, personnel? That, that's a battle I wage almost every day mm -hmm. because um, even people say, oh, I'd like to volunteer with your organization. I can teach meditation. And I say, we don't do meditation. They say, but you do mindfulness. Mindfulness is meditation. And my practice goes back over 40 years. Mm -hmm. I really know the difference. I, you know, and I can explain in a million ways why mindfulness is not relaxation techniques, why it's not meditation. It's like this is this, and this is mindfulness. This, is this, and this is mindfulness. Without putting any value judgment, not this is better or this is worse or anything, but just this is one thing and this is another. I very specifically chose mindfulness to present because I saw how it addressed so many of the issues that weren't being addressed. Um, when you bring in mindfulness as meditation, or meditation, or saying it's the same thing as yoga, or a lot of other techniques, you're not honoring military culture. Because for someone who is proud to be an American and to have put his or her life on the line to uphold values that Americans hold dear, mm -hmm. um, to say, okay, there's something wrong with you and we're going to fix it. You're going to sit cross-legged on the floor with no back support. Is that respectful of injuries? You're going to have to learn some foreign terms to understand what I'm talking about. You're going to have to do some things on um, the number of times that, that, at the end of a class, someone will come into our room and, and do this to me. And it's like, what are you doing? Hmm. You know, why not salute? It's like, why are you doing these gestures? And can something be presented that's absolutely pure, that's absolutely tailor-made for every human being, but that honors 
Hitler's military culture mm-hmm. and leaves out anything that really isn't the essence of tools that can help someone absolutely flourish in their life. Mm-hmm. And so we don't sit cross-legged on the floor with no back support. We never use any foreign terms. We don't chant. We don't ring gongs. Um, I never wear flowing purple robes. We don't burn incense. And the way this plays out, at one of the classes at the vet center, we were presenting, a young man was there for the first time, Mm -hmm. looking very nervous. We sit in chairs. um, And he said, I don't know if I should be here. Mm -hmm. I said, why is that? He said, well, because at the VA, they tried to teach me to meditate, and I couldn't do it. Because of some physical stuff I have going on, I can't sit still. Um, because of meds I'm on, I can't have really good focus, and I can't clear my head of thoughts. I said, no problem. We don't do any of those things. And his shoulders lowered by a couple inches. And I said, you know, you want to give this a try? He said, sure. We walked through a practice where it's just about paying attention. It's not trying to relax. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to have no thoughts go through your head. It's not trying to get to a good place. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to be peaceful. It's not trying to heal. It's simply being aware of what's going on with openness and curiosity. And here's the biggest one, not trying to fix or change anything. Yeah. So also not defaulting. If, if you have trauma, how about not defaulting to a trauma response of fight, flight, or freeze? What if it's perfectly okay for you to just be with whatever is happening and acknowledge it? Maybe not be really thrilled about what you found. It's like, oh, well, look at that. You know, my stomach isn't a big knot. Okay, let's explore it. How big is the knot? Keep <laughs> you know, the knot, but not being responsible for unknotting. Right. Just observing and noticing right. and not beating yourself up for whatever you find. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's so it's so important not to beat yourself up for what you don't find. I mean, it is literally just uh, putting yourself as uh, as an observer of what's happening, and just and it happens. There's something that happens that allows you to finally start feeling some relief and a sense of empowerment. It begins to you know you can separate yourself from these thoughts and feelings and all of a sudden you become responsible for your own actions. You can be you can choose different responses. I mean that's there was this, the biggest thing. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Because what I saw and this is how you really honor military culture. To serve in the military you give up choice. Mm-hmm. You turn your power over to your commanding officer. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you come back? How do you reclaim choice? How do you reclaim power, and how do you make wise choices? Only if you have enough information to then decide. Mm-hmm. And if you're honing your skills of observation, mm-hmm. you're, here we go, situational awareness. What's happening, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening, what else is happening, what else? As I observe more, what else do I notice? Ooh, I wouldn't have gotten that bit of information if I had made a snap decision. Mm-hmm. And you just keep learning how to observe and just without judging, without editing information out, you have all the information you need about yourself, what's going on with you, and what's going on with everything else around you. Then, with that information, you can make a wise, informed choice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and proceed with dignity and strength in your life. Right. And that's, that's a... Go, what's that? You, no, you don't have to be the victim. Right. 
That's right. That's so important. Connections or someone else's stupidity or endless face palming. Why did I do that again? Yeah. You can stand with the choices you made. Know you made them wisely. And yeah, okay, I can live with the consequences of that. Right. Because I really figured some things out openly and um, using some really important skills. I'm developing more and more. Well, and that's that whole thing of not being a victim of, uh, of your circumstances or your choices. And, you know, there's times where we've worked together on different, um, different places and different locations in the VA and on, on, on Skid Row as well in Los Angeles, uh, which uh, uh, was one of the you know, greatest honors we had working there was just being able to work with those vets. And, um, and you could see the more the people who actually did it and, and, and participated in and tried it, and just were willing to try it out. How they were able to slowly start coming into what they would feel. I mean, it, would, it was, I mean, here's these guys that had been really, you know, uh, just had a, a, a bad hand dealt to them and were finding themselves in a really hard luck place. And uh, we would come in there to talk and work with them. And just in the few five minutes that we would engage in that, you could see the, uh, here they are in a very, uh, very tense uh, environment, and how they would relax, and they would just calm down, and they would come into a place, and then like they would feel like, wow, I mean, I'm okay, and 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 then they would carry that out with them into the rest of the uh, into their culture and their society, and instead of uh, when somebody would come at them with uh, some kind of aggression, uh, they would turn away and they would walk away from it. I mean, there was uh, one of those. Uh, situations where a guy, and I think this is one of the uh, guys that you worked with, uh, where he pulled back from hitting the guy, where he was normally, somebody was uh, coming at him like that, and his response would be to hit him back, but because of the mindfulness practices that he was doing with us out there in, in Los Angeles, he was, he refrained from doing that. And he probably, he said he probably kept him from jail, uh, from going in there. And so these are just one of numerous, numerous success stories that we've had uh, just by doing this in a very short amount of time with the people who've, who've trusted us that what we were doing was going to help them. Now, how does mindfulness work, Gail? What is it about it that allows people to get into this? I mean, what is the efficacy and power of it? How, how does that happen for somebody? on a lot of levels. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was incredible um, with technology these days. There's a study where you can actually see an MRI. Mm-hmm. A study was done of people responding to certain stimulus. And you see what areas of the brain light up. From where are they responding? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much from, especially after military training, you know, muscle memory, instantaneous response, flight, fight, freeze, amygdala is kicking in, you know, very basic, primitive, programmed responses. Mm-hmm. Again, not necessarily someone's choice, but this is the military training. Combat or no combat, yeah. you've been through boot camp, your brain has been programmed to respond in a certain way. I can't remember how many sessions it was, a course in mindfulness. As people are choosing how to respond as they're honing their skills of paying attention, not, again, not trying to calm down, 
not trying to be peaceful, not trying to fix or change anything, simply by paying attention. And, and I noticed this at a certain point because I know a number of languages. Here we are, good old Americans, we pay attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you the value of it. Attention is a very priceless commodity. Right. Be, to pay attention, invest in observing, noticing. That same stimulus was presented to those same people after the mindfulness training. The MRI showed different areas of the brain lighting up. Mm-hmm. They were using their prefrontal cortex, higher developed, more evolved areas of the brain, areas of the brain responsible for choice and reasoning. So instead of just an animal response, gotta survive, fight, fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. What can I do with this? What's the best response? And so even scientifically you can see it changes the way the brain works or it changes the way we use our brain the same way we have these resources how do we use them it's going to be the same stimulus like 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 the guy who said gail because of you this time i'm not in jail Mm -hmm. after endless anger management classes he still ended up in jail because his response was the same Mm -hmm. and this time saying i noticed i was clenching my fist I noticed I was raising my hand mm-hmm. and my arm. But observing and noticing what was happening, not even trying to change it. I'm trying to be peaceful. I'm trying to be peaceful. I'm going to sit down and chant. No, he was just watching what was happening, but he could choose. Yes. Do through with this? Yes. Does fist meet face? Or do I have a choice? Yes, I have a choice, and I'm going to exercise it. Mm-hmm. And he chose not to go to jail this time and to let the guy be a jerk <laughs> and stay in his own dignity mm-hmm. and walk away. Mm-hmm. And that was completely life-changing for him. And it's happened again and again and again with the people who've taken this seriously mm-hmm. and given it in a shot and um, practiced it, developed their skills mm-hmm. through all these different tools. Um to have choice and to make wise choices mm-hmm. to become their own commanding officers that is so different because <laughs> um, I've been in classes I've been in the yoga for vets class where I was told to soften my face yeah. and it's like I wish I could do that on command <laughs> I through being aware of how does your face feel does yeah. it feel tight here are you grinding your teeth are you clenching your jaw and then the second step then I decide what relationship do I want to have with what I'm observing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there you go that's empowerment and um, watching that happen watching someone develop that watching someone notice I'm finding that even though I live on skid row I notice the the trees are blooming yeah. You know, I'm not just looking at all the stuff that's on the sidewalk. Yeah. I notice this. I notice in spite of all the other smells, I can smell coffee. Mm-hmm. I can. So it's, we don't have a lot of control over our world, over the people who come into it, um, over our environments, certainly not the freeway traffic in Los Angeles. <laughs> I wish I cars out of the fast lane so I could 
step ahead. Yeah. Um, but what do I notice along with these things is something of beauty. And bottom line, I notice my life itself. I think that's the biggest thing is being able to notice your own life, notice your own self, being able so present that it helps you to be able to, you know, notice the, the beauty that's around you, notice the things that are uh, uh, that are revitalizing and energizing and just paying attention to the colors and, and the sounds and the smells in a way that helps you to feel safe, you know, and, and being able to observe those things around you and not being um, traumatized by it. And I really believe and wholeheartedly that mindfulness allows you to be able to get in touch with that. Because you start getting that sense of um, self-empowerment by being able to make choices rather than just being reactive, rather than just being um, this is what's coming in and this is how I respond to it. It's being able to say, oh, wait, that, uh, that's the wind blowing. I can, I can feel the wind. I can say, you know, it's something I can see the, that, that bird flying, you know, and paying attention. And all of a sudden there's, um, you know, there's a sense of relief that comes with that that gives you um, freedom. I mean, it, it, truly, it gives you a sense of freedom to be able to start living your life the way you were intended to live it. And we would notice that with the guys that were on, uh, on Skid Row. I mean, these guys were, were tough cases and, uh, and really you know, very, and I love the guys. I don't know if any of the guys are watching right now. Um, but, uh, you know, those guys brought so much uh, to it and were so open and felt uh, a, a group, a sense of community. Uh, connected with the people like you know people really cared about them and they would the guys would say the only time we ever feel heaven around here is when you guys come I think that's what they said when when we would come down there and it was the only time that they would feel that and you know one uh, one of the people that was there that I remember so well you know he was he had a very rough exterior he was tormented by a lot of pain for a long long time and almost became um uh, you know, a physical representation of what the pain was on the outside. He was uh, angry and, and uh, full of uh, the beast. You could really see the beast in him. And after we worked with him um, for, a, you know, a few weeks, uh, you could start to see him lighten up. You, all of a sudden, he was smiling again. He was laughing. He was uh, being able to uh, express things that he hadn't been able to express and share things that he hadn't been able to share. And it was all because of these very simple basic techniques that literally can transform the way your mind functions. The neuroplasticity of the brain can alter based upon the things that you do to it that helps the neurons to rewire themselves. And providing that space lights up, like Gail was saying, different parts of the brain. And those parts of the brain help to, you know, uh, put things in perspective, helps you to be able to uh, put things back into sequential order and, and all these areas in the prefrontal cortex that the uh, that mindfulness allows you to be able to do. Um, Gail, you've had a chance to, <clears throat> by the way, excuse me, we are broadcasting, I'm sorry, we are broadcasting live on KUHS Denver. That's KUHSDenver.com. We are broadcasting all the best shows, music, uh, all around Colorado, the nation, Los Angeles, all around the world. Uh, we've got people from uh, Santiago, Chile, uh, the Ukraine, Canada, Taiwan, Islamabad, Pakistan, um, United States, um, Houston. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this very important, uh, very meaningful show uh, to help give you some uh, an understanding of the power uh, and efficacy of a simple practice like mindfulness, how it can really help you to 
alleviate the symptoms and dive deeper into what's really causing the wounds. But you've worked with some, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Gail, some um, combat PTSD veterans out there. Can you share just with the audience a little bit about their experience uh, with mindfulness and how it's impacted them positively in their lives? Yeah. Um, well, I was thinking when you were talking about some of the guys that we worked with on Skid Row, mm -hmm. since you moved out of the area, um, a number of these guys have moved from the transitional housing facility into their own apartments locally, some of them, and others to other parts of the country with so much pride. Mm -hmm. Because, and, and I keep thinking about the, the, the veterans that you heard about isolating in the mountains there. Mm. Um, in a way, you can be isolating on Skid Row in a transitional housing facility as well because you're separate from the rest of uh, the community. And from civilians, you're in a very specific environment, and it's it's very different out there. Mm -hmm. And what started happening was, especially because we do this work in groups, you know, we would talk about a practice and what it might address, and you know, okay, give it a try, walk through it, and then debrief it. And so many of the people would would come out with yeah, but this is going on in me. And then kind of look around, almost expecting, oh, but you're going to think I'm a monster. You're going to, your eyebrows are going to go up into your hairline. It's like, oh my God, you're like that, or you feel that, or you did that. And all the heads would nod. It's like, yep, mm -hmm. been there, done that. We get it. Um, and feeling as we're practicing mindfulness and not judging what we find in our bodies or in our thoughts or in our emotions and not judging what we find in others. Mm -hmm. The relief of I'm not a monster, I'm not alone, I'm not this horribly damaged person not fit for civilized company. It's mm -hmm. just like we've all been through our own battles of different kinds and we still are human beings because with mindfulness you're connecting Instead of, again, here we go, fight, flight, freeze. Instead of separating from, you're connecting with. Yeah. So to be able to just accept a thought, even if it's crazy, maybe not approve of it. Mm -hmm. like, That's not really the best idea, but I will accept its existence. Mm -hmm. And accepting whatever is going on and just being okay to be with it. Cutting yourself a little slack. Being okay with just who you are, all you've been through, all the stuff that still keeps coming up, it's just like, and I'm me, mm -hmm. and I'm okay, and bottom line, I'm breathing, mm -hmm. I'm receiving the gift of life, one breath at a time, I'm getting a real thumbs up seal of approval mm -hmm. from something that could judge me much more harsh, harshly, um, what's happening is basically I'm okay yes in spite of all this other stuff and it being present moment awareness so even though all that has gone on what's happening right now you can distinguish I'm not back in the jungle I'm not back in the desert I'm here right here and now right. I know how to bring my awareness into the present moment go okay right here and now I'm okay I'm breathing. How do I know? I can wiggle my bum on the chair, and I'm sitting on the chair. I'm not crawling through a jungle. 
I'm sitting back in a chair. I'm not, you know, just like, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening? And without cranking it up and writing a gratitude journal or trying to develop appreciation, some appreciation and gratitude just kind of creeps in. It's like, hey, yeah. basically all is well. Could be better, but <laughs> all is well. Right. And That's right. Well, and, and being able to explore that in a healthy environment, an environment where people are there and understand and recognize exactly what you're going through. And uh, by just fully being present to that and uh, observing it, um, there's a sense of, wow, you know, I'm breathing. You know, it, it gives you it gives you acute attention um, to the power of breath and breathing in and just allowing yourself to acknowledge that for whatever reason, life is breathing you. You're not even having to think about it. It just happens. That uh, magic breath that comes in and the, and the breath that goes out, and all of a sudden you really find that, uh, you know, I can't change what happened in the past, but right now just in breathing, what a luxury that is. You know, what a, what a, what a blessing that is. And, that, and so that you can finally start relaxing into that. So for whatever reason, I still have life within me. Let me continue to cultivate it and get to a place where I can be okay with where I'm at. And that's where I think it begins, is just learning to be okay with where you're at, not trying to force anything, not trying to change anything, not trying to be somebody that you're not, not say, you know, just total full acceptance of where you are right now without judgment. Without judging yourself, you know, I've got a problem, I've got this issue, and this issue is uh, plaguing my mind, it's uh, torment, it's, it's just accepting total, radical acceptance of where you are right now. And that's what mindfulness allows you to do, is to have that. And the transformations that we have seen with people is, is night and day. And Here's some of the other, so here are people who, are about to transition out of the temporary housing facility. Mm -hmm. And you'll remember one guy, I'm not going to out anyone, said, I'm able to, I'm moving back to the Midwest because I've reconciled with my family Mm -hmm. because I've learned how to be okay with myself for all of who I am. And I can then be okay with them not worrying that they're going to judge me or condemn me. So the same way I learned how to do that with myself and with my buddies in this group, it's now extended to my family. Thank you so much. I'm moving back to the Midwest. Yeah. And so I'm realizing, you know, I can move out on my own and not worry about, you know, isolating and starting to drink and use again. Because I know I can be okay with myself. Mm-hmm. I can treat myself with respect and other people. And if someone's being a jerk, I can just walk away from them. Mm-hmm. And being able to go to the VA and put up with a lot of nonsense and red tape and get the treatment that you're going there for without punching the receptionist out or storming out and screaming because of frustrating procedures. It's like, okay, I'm going to be here all day. Yeah. I could get frustrated and have a frustrating day, or I can just let them be who they are, do what they do. And I'm not going to let them deprive me of the treatment I need. I can make it through this. Yeah. I can make it through 
stupidity, I can make it through frustration. So to be able to navigate life, Mm -hmm. again, with that dignity, from some strength, and know what the boundaries are. This is me and this is something else. What relationship do I choose to have with that? That's right. I decide. I mean, you know, so for the guys up in the mountains, you know, if you guys are listening to this, you're not alone. Mm. There are so many thousands and thousands of veterans or people who have experienced different kinds of trauma who feel I'm not fit for human company because I've become such a monster or Mm. because I can't deal with any more pain. There are tools that you can use to just come back into your own power and move through anything mm-hmm. that comes at you from the inside or the outside because in the present moment you're alive and you have amazing resources. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, one of the important resources that uh, we were very successful at in doing was combining uh, mindfulness with the, the historical and, and literary aspect of, uh, the, of the wound. Uh, we did a, a book club there um, when we was an, an inaugural book club where we went to the vets that were living there, and we were going to go through the the Iliad and the Odyssey, and uh, and other uh, books that talked about the wound. And you should have seen these guys light up. They got it. They understood it when they recognized that uh, um, Achilles was going through the same kind of rage that they went through they say oh wow that's you know i i can understand that i know what that feeling is i felt that before or odysseus was uh, contemplating suicide in 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 one of the uh one on part of his journey like oh yeah i can feel that so this is not just an isolated thing this is part of that um recovery period that return journey aspect of the warrior that has to be completed and it's just part of the process and they were able to really grasp it and grab hold of it and embrace it. And they would light up. And it was just like they were so excited that people they could finally start putting the pieces together and start linking it that, oh, there's not – I'm not a, a pathological uh, disorder. This is, this, is, uh, this is normal behavior in abnormal situations. This is the human condition. Yeah. Because still today – so much the Iliad, but definitely the Odyssey. I mean, look at the thousands and thousands of years that story has lasted through time and culture. It's, I mean, we read it in English. It's translated into every language. It's the story of the warrior. Mm -hmm. And when you hear these guys would turn to each other and said, that's the words that came out of my mouth to my buddy. You know, Charlie and I did a dramatic reading of it. Instead of having everyone read all the way through the Iliad and all the way through the Odyssey, we took turns reading excerpts from it. Mm-hmm. And to have the men weeping, it's like, that, that's what I said. That's what I felt. Yeah. And to realize, I mean, one, one guy completely lost it. He said, I never thought of myself as a Greek hero. Yeah. I was like, well, good thing, because you are. Because when people think of Odysseus, they do not think, they don't think in modern day terms. He was homeless and wandered around for 10 years before he made it home from the war. He was a homeless veteran, people. (laughs) 
He had substance mm-hmm. abuse issues. He did the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll to the hilt. Yes. And he made it home alone. He lost all of his guys on the way back. He was not successful in bringing his troops home. Yeah. And yet everyone reads about him, and he's a Greek hero. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting when you look at things from a slightly different perspective and you realize I'm experiencing the experience of the warrior that's been across time and culture. Some cultures have been better at receiving the troops back home. They've understood how to share the stories, how to share the burdens, how to take ownership, shared ownership. Mm-hmm. We sent you, you did the dirty work. Um, we've got to own it and really have some integration mm-hmm. when the warriors come home. The Greeks were a little better at it. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little but bit. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And it's like, okay, if society isn't doing it as a whole, maybe, and maybe that's why I have to be doing this, you know, some non-profits pick that on and like, let's look at this in a different way. Mm-hmm. Let's learn some tools that really bring the reality of the situation into focus. And, you know, you're part of the human experience and, you know, welcome to the rest of humanity. That's right. Yeah. And it's just part of, uh, part and parcel of the human experience. And I think a nation's uh, is only as healthy as the as the health of their warriors, or the health of their soldiers, or their veterans. And so, uh, when we're not giving them the due uh, respect and dignity that they deserve, and returning them their honor in a way that helps them to carry the, those experiences with them in a healthy way, we're not doing them justice. We're not serving them. We've and literally we've uh, we've abandoned them. And, but we don't have to. That's the good thing. We don't have to. We have. Things that we can do, people who, who are there, who are willing and ready to sacrifice. Um, we are close. We've got about six minutes left. I just want to uh, do a quick station identification. You're listening to this uh, amazing program on KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. Broadcasting all over Denver, Los Angeles, uh, the nation, all throughout the world. Uh, touching lives um, through our programming and our music. And uh, just really grateful for all of you who are tuning in today and who will be watching this later, um, later on. So um, I would love for you to uh, visit the website, themindfulwarriorproject.org. That's www.mindfulwarriorproject.org. That's mindfulwarriorproject.org. Um, we need your support to help uh, with this uh, life-saving, life-supporting work that we're doing uh, to serve not just... Uh, in Los Angeles, but in Colorado, and all over the nation, all over the country, where, where the veterans are holed up, uh, where, they're, where they're isolating, where they need to be tending. And uh, so please visit and donate. Any donation helps. Um, Gail, is there a way you could lead us on a, just a quick little practice? Um, uh, we've only got about five minutes left. We'll have to do it for like a three-minute. Could you do a three-minute little practice for us? Okay. Um, one other thing I'd just like to preface it with, a lot of people will say, oh, okay, you're not doing meditation, but you're doing breath work. And what I love is that when we pay attention to our breathing in the course of another practice, 
we're not doing deep belly breathing. We're not breathing in through our noses and out through our mouths. We're not slowing our breathing. We're just observing how we've been breathing all along. Mm. And to me, in a way, that's a huge difference. So this is just about observing. So kind of with that same understanding, um, let's have everyone just lift their hand up so that they can observe it. Just look at your own hand. Look at it palm side up. Notice the shape. Spread your fingers really wide and then bring them tight together. And then fold your hand into a fist. Notice the sensation of movement when you do that. Notice the different parts of your hand that you see when your hand is in a fist. Open it back up again. Notice the colors in your hand. Maybe if we were to draw a hand, we would just pick up one colored crayon. Notice all the different shades of color and actually different colors. Wiggle your fingers to observe movement. Notice how much mobility you have. The sensation of fingers moving through air. Notice the temperature. See if you find any aches or pains as you're moving your fingers. Bring each finger into contact with your thumb one by one. Feeling if there's any stiffness or achiness, how easy it is to make that kind of contact. Bring the thumb in close to the other fingers and then spread it out far away. Notice the little flap of skin that accommodates that kind of movement. Flip your hand over and observe it from the back side. Noticing now the knuckles, the fingernails. Wiggle your fingers. See if you notice through the skin the movement. If you see veins, the different colors. If you notice spots, scars, insect bites, whatever you find on your hand. Flip the hand over again, ball it up into a fist with the thumb on the outside, open again, and ball it up into a fist with the thumb on the inside, just feeling the sensation of movement, everything you can observe about the hand. Of this thing that's 
always been on the end of our arm all our lives. <laughs> the mobility it has, all of the different configurations. You can make little duck shadows on the wall with it. You can snap your fingers. You can clap with the opposing hand. And then notice how much observation how much attention can be brought to bear on something that we completely take for granted, rarely even noticed because the response of our hand is so instantaneous to whatever we ask it to do. And maybe just let a little bit of appreciation come into play, imagining if this hand weren't working, how we would have to compensate for something we take for granted. Yeah, that's so brilliant. That's so brilliant. It's just so simple. It's so effective. I mean, it's just really good. It's about feeling the sensations, the self-awareness in your in your body, in something so simple like that, and gives you full, full presence. I mean, you can, it's it, you can't believe that something so simple could be so absolutely effective. Gail, thank you so much for joining me today. We are, are just about out of time, and. Um, I just couldn't thank you more for being here with us uh, and sharing this, sharing the, the wisdom of mindfulness for a world audience. Um, one of the things that I want to leave you with um, today is that the key to creating the mental space before responding is mindfulness. Mindfulness is a way of being present, paying attention to and accepting what is happening in our lives. It helps us to be aware of and step away from our automatic and habitual reactions to our everyday experiences. That's how powerful this is. Well, Gail, thank you again. Um, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the council today. Uh, it is such an honor to be here and to be broadcasting here at KUHS Denver. Uh, we will be back in, uh, I think, a couple weeks uh, for another show. Tune in. And uh, again, everyone, may you be well. May you be free of pain and suffering. May you be whole. God bless. Council is adjourned. See you next time. Thank you, folks. Really, really appreciate you joining the show today. And uh, you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. <laughs>